Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. How many of you have uh, religious friends, uh, well-meaning, I'm sure, who want to convince you that this is indeed it? All that we are seeing happening around our beleaguered planet today is the incontrovertible proof that our number as a people is up. Famine in Afghanistan with winter approaching, which some predict will bring about the worst humanity humanitarian crisis we have ever faced. Runaway climate change, with experts telling us that the freshly minted Glasgow Climate Pact is nowhere near enough. Deepening political divides, which threaten to tear apart our fragile democracies. Little wonder it has even faithful folk wringing their hands and talking apocalypse. So I wonder what comes to mind for you when you hear the word apocalypse. What do you picture? How do you feel? Now, in popular usage, apocalypse gets associated with end times. And I'm asking you these questions this morning because chapter 13 in Mark's Gospel, which we heard from this morning, is also known as the Little Apocalypse. Now, this morning is the last time we will be hearing from Mark as another church year draws to a close next Sunday with the reign of Christ. It's remarkable, isn't it? We we began the church year last Advent with Apocalypse in chapter 13 of Mark's Gospel, and today we conclude our year reading through Mark's Gospel in chapter 13 with the same Apocalypse. Apocalyptic literature, style of writing foretelling cataclysmic events in the final days. Now, incidentally, Apocalypsis in Greek means not destruction, but unveiling or revealing. I remember asking a group what they thought of apocalyptic literature, this writing about destruction and and visions and, and often numbers. Weird is how someone in that group responded. And to us it is, which is hardly surprising. It's weird because it's a specialized form of writing which we no longer use today. Pretty common in Jesus' day, so it didn't freak them out. It freaks us out because it's so unfamiliar to us. Be a bit like handing out a science fiction novel to a bunch of teenagers in first century Palestine and asking them to explain what this science fiction novel meant. 
So, so just as science fiction was not an understandable form of writing back in Jesus' day, so apocalyptic writing is, is not readily accessible to us today. What I can tell you about apocalyptic literature is that folk wrote in this genre when things were pretty bad. In times of catastrophe, times of hardship, in times of persecution, when folk were really desperate. And what I can also tell you about apocalyptic literature is that this literature was not intended to be predictive. In other words, when Mark wrote chapter 13 of his gospel, which we listened to this morning, also known as the Little Apocalypse, he wasn't thinking about us and what we might be living 2,000 years later. He didn't write this stuff with the intention that we would use it to try and figure out whether the end times were actually upon us. So when we read this type of writing, <coughs> we, we need to leave our worldview behind for a moment. We do our best to imagine empathically what it was like to be living at the time when those authors were writing. Mark put pen to papyrus around 70 AD. And the stuff that we heard about this morning in, in Mark's gospel, destruction of the temple, wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes and famines, they were already happening, already happening back then. The Jews and the Romans were at war, the temple was torched in 70 AD, and there were earthquakes and there were famines already happening. So if apocalyptic literature is not about predicting the end of the world, what is it about? Well, why did John write Revelation, the best-known example of full-blown apocalyptic literature in the Bible? Why did Daniel, in a similar vein, write in the Old Testament about a time of anguish such as never occurred since nations first came into existence? Why did Mark pen this little apocalypse with which we both launch and finish a church year? Well, if you hear nothing else this morning, Hear this, apocalyptic literature was not intended to turn folk into henny pennies, convinced that the sky is falling in, as people sometimes use it today. It was not meant to make people paranoid. Apocalyptic literature, writing which issues out of a crisis, was to reassure readers to encourage them, to give them hope. As Paul writes in his letter to the Hebrews, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So what apocalyptic literature did was to communicate to folks 
that despite all appearances to the contrary, God was indeed with them in their struggles. It might have seemed like that the world was going to heck in a handbasket. This literary style assured readers that God had things in hand. Now, we can't even begin to imagine the impact on the Jews of the destruction of their beloved temple back in 70 AD. It was, after all, for them, the place where God resided, where God met them, and they met God. It gave meaning and shape, not just to their religious lives, but to their whole lives. So apocalyptic literature helped people locate their present, what they were living at the time, within God's future for them. It opened their eyes to the truth that what they were living right now was all part of a much bigger story. It did not tell them that God had scripted everything that they were living, that God had caused the destruction of their temple, that God was sending them all these calamities. Apocalyptic literature, rather, assured readers that God was engaged in whatever they were living and that ultimately God's perfect purpose would prevail. That the struggles they were experiencing, the oppression, the conflict with evil, it, it mirrored, it reflected the supernatural, the cosmic battle between good and evil. And because of God's promise that this cosmic battle would be one, then even though they were living in this time of darkness and pain, they could be assured of God's promise of a redeemed future. So because of this, another important aspect of apocalyptic literature was the encouragement to hang in there to endure, to hold fast. Mark wrote chapter 13 to urge his community to hold tight because God's promise was in sight. It wasn't to dismiss the realities of what they were living, the trials and the tribulations of the current time. Mark wrote to give them hope. And that's why it's important when we listen together 2,000 years later to these weird-sounding texts that we shift our attention away from the coming judgment. The whole point in apocalyptic literature of naming God's future triumph or vindication is to give us, the reader, courage and hope, to gift us a measure of freedom right here and right now. So what does this mean for us? Well, as shocking as it may sound, this type of writing, apocalyptic literature, reminds us that Jesus' death on a cross doesn't somehow remake this world into a safe place. As uneasy as it might make us, 
apocalyptic writing, such as we heard this morning in Mark 13, faces us with the reality that there is going to be suffering and there is going to be destruction. Things can and will go horribly wrong. Even as we acknowledge all that Jesus achieved for us and for all of creation through his dying and rising again, the world still remains at times a hostile and a dangerous place. Witness the Astro World concert in Tagnus or the tanker explosion in Sierra Leone or the suicide bombing at Kabul Airport or other events in countless areas around the world. What Mark says to you and me this morning is that when things go awry like this, it doesn't mean that the doomsday clock has now started ticking. Do not be alarmed, Mark says. This must take place, but the end is still to come. So when we see footage of carnage or destruction streaming across our news feeds, we don't need to sell all we own and build bunkers. No, we hear Mark's same words of courage and of hope in whatever we're living today. To conclude, the risk of allowing BMW to detract from the gospel's light, I enjoyed their logo from a few years ago. Saw it on a, a semi. When something like this, belief in the present comes from faith in the future. Belief in the present comes from faith in the future. In Mark's gospel this morning, hearing afresh a promise about the end of God's story gives us the courage and hope to act faithfully in the present story of our lives. And as if to underscore this truth, Mark concludes by describing the sufferings of his own community as the beginning of birth pangs. Birth pangs. As those of you who are mothers will know, hardly denying the reality of the challenges and hardships that we all experience to a greater or lesser extent. The birth pangs, signaling to the end of a long time of waiting and the emergence of new life. Suffering that leads not to despair, but to hope. The inbreaking of this breathtaking new creation, which God has assigned both you and me a small but important role as we struggle together, in spite of everything, for God's reign of peace and justice for all people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ's Church Cathedral. Our original theme and audio engineering are done by Eduardo Farias. For more information, go to cathedralhamilton.ca. We hope you would join us again soon. Have a blessed day.